Welcome to the Saturate Podcast. My name is Brad Watson, and today we have a great episode for you where I talk with Chris Gonzalez. He's uh, the director of the Missional Training Center. He also planted a church in Tempe, Arizona. Uh, We're going to be talking about church-based theological education. We're going to be talking about citywide movement of churches working together to see their cities filled with the knowledge of Jesus. Super exciting stuff. Talking about the longevity of caring for one singular place for a long period of time, having a vision that's not five years, two years, but 20 years. Love this conversation. Chris is one of my favorite people. Been a pastor for a long time, been a friend for a long time. I really admire him, look up to him as he leads and plants and uh, encourages leaders all over Arizona. Before we dive into that episode, I just want to remind you about a few things, uh, maybe even notify you if, if you haven't been seeing this. But now, all of our printed resources, every book that you can buy from Saturate is now included in the membership. That means that if you're a member of Saturate uh, and you're paying the monthly fee or whatnot, you have access to the Gospel Fluency Handbook, the Saturate Field Guide, the Ephesian Study, like all of it. You can now get it, and I highly recommend that you take a look, take advantage of all of that. Uh, It's a wealth of resources, and the reason that we create all of those, the reason we put them in the membership is we believe that this is the time, there's no greater moment than right now to step into seeing movements of the gospel happen first in homes and neighborhoods and then in cities. And so we're just so excited about the about the church being awakened to the reality that the church is more. We're so excited about people growing in their ability to share Jesus and the everyday stuff of life. So excited for to see people live out the mission of God and the place that they are. Uh, we've put it all in the membership to make it so much easier. If you're not a member, become one. Uh, if you are a member, take advantage of it. Uh, so excited about this. And there's other things coming. And we'll continue to let you know about those things. And so without anything else to add besides use your membership, uh, let's get into today's conversation with Chris Gonzalez. This is the Saturate Podcast. Saturate is committed to seeing a gospel movement happen in North America and beyond in which every man, woman, and child have a daily encounter with Jesus in word and deed. This podcast is an ongoing conversation with disciples and leaders growing in the gospel and growing and living the implications of the gospel in community and on mission. Welcome to the Saturate podcast. I have my friend Chris Gonzalez with me from Tempe, Arizona. Glad to have you on the podcast, Chris. Thanks, Brad. It's good to be here. Yeah, we're both in quarantine. I think, though you're in Arizona, so it's like the Wild West. We're more the Wild West, so we're under quarantine, but not under uh, such strict rules as you, I suppose. Yeah, it's becoming more Wild West as time goes by. <laughs> Chris, today I wanted to talk about theological education taking place in the realm of the church. Mm-hmm. Uh, you have a unique story or part of a unique story in the Phoenix area around uh, churches collaborating together. And, and I don't want to share this story for you. So I guess I should start there. Yeah. What have you seen God do over the last like decade plus around this area? 
Yeah. So about a dozen years ago, a bunch of us were young pastors, pastoring kind of in college ministries and different ministries within churches, some of us planting churches. It was kind of coming out of the emergent church phase uh, when people were talking mm-hmm. about that and everybody was missional, missional, people talking missional. And basically this was before Kent, Tim Keller had written any books, but we just got, we started getting some of his articles and listening to his sermons, his podcast. And the way, the way we put it this is maybe not the most helpful illustration, but like Keller was like the gateway drug for us. And that mm-hmm. we started seeing like, wow, I think the gospel is bigger than we thought it was, you know, and, and some of us that we'd been through seminary and had our MDivs and such, but we're like, gosh, am I like getting the gospel for the first time? And then seeing the kingdom of God and the mission of God as being bigger and this kind of more all-encompassing thing. And from there, we started reading a guy named Chris Wright, who wrote a book called Mission of God, and then uh, Mike Goheen and this book, Drama of Scripture. And we actually we read Drama of Scripture, and we called, we looked up the author, Mike, Mike Goheen was one of them, and we called him up in Vancouver at his office at this uh, school that he was at, and just started a conversation with him and just said, hey everybody's talking missional, 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 but it seems really shallow. And it's like Hmm. different ways of doing church. And we just said, what you're writing here is getting at something. It feels like it's way deeper. And what you're, what you're saying is getting at the identity, the identity of God, the identity of God's people. It's putting it like fundamentally putting something into a narrative, like in story, in the narrative of the scripture, instead of like these kind of abstract ideas. Anyway, so we, we just engaged him in a conversation and we're like, where are you getting this from? And he's, he's telling us and he ended up getting on a plane and coming down to Phoenix and meeting with a couple of us, with several of us for a couple of days. And then Mike would just, Mike going would just keep coming down kind of over the next few years. And basically what he helped us do and what we put together, all of us as young pastors and planters, we were realizing like, man, we're getting wrecked by some of this stuff and we're having this bigger vision of the gospel seeing seeing Mm. salvation as restorative, not just extractional. And we're like, but how do we get the people in our congregations, the people in our core groups, how do we get them to to see this and to to be kind of have this theological vision as well? And so what we came up with, we we had started just meeting together as pastors, and that became something we called the Surge Network, just a network of pastors who would get together once a month for lunch. But then from there, we're saying, hey, how do we train people in this? How do we get this, this foundation into people? And that's where we started this thing called the Surge School. So it's just a nine-month lay leadership training deal that we do where we said, okay, Brad, you're responsible for people in your church. I'm responsible for people in my church. But maybe if we could like pool our resources and do this together and, and the people in our churches mm-hmm. can see like, hey, it's not just me and, our, and the people in our church, but like there's a movement of churches in our city who are all thinking about these things together. And so what the, the surge school, like I meet with, um, uh, or actually Charlie Mio leads all our surge tables. Now he's the one who's leading our local congregation here in Missio. And he'll lead a surge table of five to 10 people from our church. And they'll meet every Hmm. week and work through, um, there's these four quarters. And so the first quarter is gospel story. We read drama scripture and just trying to see, Hey, the Bible, the the Bible is a story. The story is not just like an app, but it's the actual operating system. Like this is Mm. the thing. The the, the gospel is a, is good news about a story of what Jesus has done. It's not just this abstract story out there, but it's the story that we all find ourselves in. And then the second quarter really gets into, Hey, but there's another story that we live in, in in our Western culture and it's got idols and it's trying to convince us. And it's Mm. in a river being 
dragged along into another story. So how do we use spiritual disciplines to put our feet down in the river and really uh, battle, kind of battle against that? And then from there, we go into, we use a book in the third quarter called Symphony of Mission by Jim Mullins, who pastors here in, uh, hmm. in Tempe at Redemption Tempe with, he and Mike Goeen wrote that book just recently. And so we use that to, to see how the mission of the church, it's not just like one little thing or one specific thing, but it's like a, a great symphony as the church works together. Hmm. And then in the fourth quarter, we use all kind of kind of comes together and we use Keller's Every Good Endeavor and really focus on vocational discipleship. So for your nine to five, what does that mean? How do you how do you live this theological vision out for the kingdom of God? That's the third school. We also use these blessed rhythms, uh, bless, listen, eat, speak and Sabbath that the tables work through. So it's not just a, a curriculum study, but we're intentionally trying to, to live these blessed rhythms out kind of a rule of life. Mm. That's awesome. We did that and it was really helpful. It really started to form a lot of our churches. There's uh, up to like 20 churches a year or maybe more next year that'll do that. One to 200 students a year will go through search school here in Phoenix. And once a quarter, we bring them all together for an intensive where someone speaks, whether it's Mike or Jim or myself or somebody else will speak, but have people from all different churches, kind of trans-denominational, Anglican, Lutheran, Baptist, non-denominational assemblies of God foursquare different churches all coming together. And so there's really this cool thing where you start to see like, Hey, we're not the only ones who are getting this, who are thinking through this, who are trying to live this out. Mm-hmm. But that's the first part of the, you asked one simple question. I'm giving you a really long answer. So <laughs> terrible. Podcast. I love it. So, <laughs> that's brilliant. So after, so basically after a few years, Mike would come down and he's just meeting with us as pastors, myself and my friend, Tyler Johnson, who is a lead pastor of redemption church here in, in Phoenix. We're like we're just picking him up from the airport, taking him to his hotel, uh, having dinner with him, introducing him to pastors, having him teach, writing down the books he tells us to read. And basically, over like three years, Tyler and I look at each other and we're like, "We're getting this is an incredible theological education. Like we're getting this incredible yeah. seminary education just from being friends with Mike." We're like, "How do we get other leaders in our church to get this kind of seminary education?" And so. Mm. Somehow, it's a longer story. We convinced Mike and Marnie, his wife, to buy a house like a quarter mile from where I live. And we said, okay, buy a house down here and you pay the mortgage on it and we'll pay the the monthlies on it. Use it as our church office. We we got 15 people and said, hey, we're going to meet every Tuesday morning from 6 to to 9 a.m. And hmm. Mike's going to be here three months out of the year. When he's here, he's going to teach us. When he's not, we're still going to meet together and we'll just talk about the books he tells us to read and the questions he tells us to wrestle through. And so we had 15 people pay $1,000 and do it the first year. After that, they all wanted to do it again. We started another cohort on Thursday mornings from 6 to 9 a.m. And hmm. we'd share a meal together. Uh, when when his wife, Marty, was in town, she'd cook and we'd share breakfast together. And it was just this this cohort, this learning community of different pastors and different leaders from around the the valley would, would get together. It was just, it was this really beautiful thing. And at the end of a couple of years, Mike was saying like, gosh, this is a better, this is like as good, if not better, a, a seminary education than I've seen in other places. And hmm. students were like, Hey, this is great. Can we get credit for this? So essentially we try, we, we put it together as a, an MA in missional theology that we do in partnership now with Covenant Seminary, which uh, in St. Louis, and so wow. uh, we do a an MA through through cohorts. Still, you meet once a week. You do this MA, forty eight hour MA over four years, and all the students though are from 
churches here on our local network in the surge network. So, wow. so that's the backstory to it. Kind of these two separate things, the surge school, which is lay leadership development, kind of a one year mm-hmm. local church based deal. And then the missional training center, which has Mike as the master teacher, he does about half the teaching. And then our faculty does the other, uh, we have visiting faculty come in and do the other half of the teaching. But, but all of that is like happening in like a living room environment, like you kind of described, like sharing a meal together, a yep. cohort, this highly relational, but then also like just in the context of that kind of community and in that place of your city with people who are already kind of growing up as leaders. I don't think we could have kind of put our finger on this at the beginning. I don't think we could have said this, but the two things of what you just said, one is the nature of the living room. And we've talked like, as it's grown, we're like, ah, do we just move? There's so many churches with church classrooms. It'd just be easier. You don't have to worry about the cleaning and the hospital, like all this stuff. Mm -hmm. There's just, there's something about the living room environment where it's like, it's in a home. There's a meal you can smell and hear the meal being cooked. Yeah. And you're with the same people for four years. So you're with the same 12 to 17 other students in your professor's home for four years straight. There's a, a love, like a, an agape ethic uh, fellowship that just develops over the time to where I don't mean this yeah. to any disrespect to Mike or any of the other faculty, but my contention is that by the third year, you learn more from the other students in your cohort than you do from the faculty. Because yeah. the faculty, the professors, like they're teaching you great stuff, but they're basically, they're throwing this out into the middle of the room. But then you're learning from how your fellow cohorts who you love and know their ministry context for how they're wrestling through it, if that makes sense. And so, and you're all doing it together. Like, what does this, what does this mean for how we live out the gospel faithfully here in Phoenix? Mm. Yeah. So even as you say, like hundreds of people going through the lay leader thing, and then you have, you know, these cohorts going through the, the more seminary level thing. Uh I don't know the, the camaraderie and the shared movement of that, in the city yep. or, or your region of, I mean, you're talking like hundreds of people get it, right? <laughs> That's like incredible. Yeah. Yeah. There's like a, I don't know what it is. There's like a critical mass that occurs to where it's like, yeah, you just have these people who are, who are getting, who are having this theological vision of the kingdom and wanting to live this out and having, uh, not that it's about like a, a certain verbiage, but it's like, Hey, have a certain way of, of communicating and the same napkin drawings. And when we draw these symbols, we know what we mean. And we're, we're living this out. So it becomes, uh, yeah, it's really, it's been really cool. Yeah. And I, I can even, you know, that you came to those conclusions even like a dozen years ago of, man, we should probably do something where we can train our people like deeper, you know, for nine months. That's deeper than I think sometimes, especially when it comes to missional living or even yeah, uh, thinking about the gospel differently. We're kind of like, sweet, let's do a four week preaching sermon series. 45 minutes of sermon, people are going to get the gospel and that it's super deep now, you know, or go through this curriculum or whatever it might be. And that just doesn't produce what we want. Right. Yeah. Yeah. That's helpful. I haven't, yeah, I just put this together as you were saying, there's something, there's like a slow drip nature to it. One, just overall that looking back, this has been over a dozen years. And so Mm -hmm. I remember Tyler and I, we were both we had been doing college ministry where I was planning a church. He was taking a, a different role at his church. And, and I remember we just, I said, he was from Denver. I, I, I'm not from here either. I was like, man, Denver's a lot nicer place in the summer than Phoenix is. Like, do you ever think about going back there? You love Denver. He's like, I'd love to live back in Denver. Like if God called me there, but 
I'm planning a beer for like 10 to 20 years as we were starting mm. church. And I said, dude, that's cool. Like I'm planning to like, I'm not planning to go anywhere. This is like a 20 year vision, like realizing mm. for the church that we're trying to plant, that's now 12 years old, this network is like, this isn't just going to happen in the next couple of years. This is like a 20 year vision. So it's been helpful yeah. even in thinking through that of like, yeah, we're 12 years into a 20 year vision. Like we're not where we eventually want to be with Surge, mm. Missio, all this. And then with Surge, it, it you're right. It's like, it's nine, it's a nine month commitment. And with Michel Training mm. Center, it's four years for a 48 yeah. hour MA. But it, and you're going just once a week, but it, but it, and it's like, we won't let you go twice a week and do it in two, two years because it's just convinced to really get this stuff to sink in. It takes the time. Yeah. The, which is, yeah, I think you kind of compare that with traditional seminary, I guess. I don't know if, that, or if that's words that, that you use or not. The non-living room seminary, the non-cohort. Yeah. Traditional residential. Yeah, residential. That's what it's called. I don't know. I, in my seminary experience, I had maybe two or three people that I really like shared that experience with and learned a lot from. But it was mostly like listening to the lectures with the professors. I learned a lot through the writing, but I was like cramming out, especially at the end. I had two kids and I was like, I'm not going to be in seminary like and an old man. So I just cranked out the last courses uh-huh. um, and I, I can't even remember that much from it. And it's kind of fascinating because the, the part that was really fruitful is I had a theological advisor, Gary Brashears, mm-hmm. who I took over half my classes were with him. And he just shaped my theological vision and clarity and all of that stuff. And was just, yeah, really kind uh, mentor. But the other half, you know, it's kind of, I had great professors. They cared a lot, all of that. But it just kind of came in and, and went out. Mm-hmm. And it was really expensive and costly. Yeah. And, you know, I, I think around our city in Los Angeles, and I think about even the future of seeing many churches planted or new expressions of God's people, you know, filling every corner of our city. And it's going to require people who who are not going to Fuller Seminary or these other places where they're going to spend $80,000 and, you know, all of this time and, and then stay in Los Angeles. They're going to go somewhere else. and. I know I just kind of get more and more convinced around, yeah, a future where uh, leaders are going to be developed, like homegrown within our churches. The knock, and rightly so, in church-based theological education is it's individual churches trying to do everything on their own, and they just don't have the resources. They don't have, like, both financial, but also just intellectual resources and professors and stuff to do that. And so I think that's often when people talk about church-based theological education, it's like, that's the knock is that it's basically like practical helps. So it's, and, and often that's where it goes is, is to say like, Hey, can we, you go to a seminary and say, Hey, can we get some, you know, some practical ministry credit into your degree program? Hmm. So basically Mike did his, his PhD work on Leslie Newbigin and on his missionary hmm. ecclesiology and basically just read every, like everything that Newbigin ever wrote, try to get inside his mind, understand how he saw the church as, as a missionary and, and its missionary identity. And as he was doing his work in the way Mike tells it, he realized back in the 60s, 70s, 80s, starting especially in like in Latin America, but also missiologists here in the States and Europe, m- many of them were saying, hey, if this makes sense, as the, as the church is emerging in, in South America, Africa, Asia, the, the, the younger churches developing there, were saying, 
hey, we need to rethink what theological education looks like for the church in the majority world, because mm-hmm. what we're doing is the default is to to basically transplant European and American university style academic that's heavily influenced from the Enlightenment, let's say. We're trying to transplant that to the church in the global south. And they're saying you can't do that because they're not Western, they're you know Eastern or whatever. And they'd all made this critique and said, we need to rethink this, but nobody had ever kind of, they'd written like paragraphs or chapters on it, but nobody ever really fleshed this out. And that's what, that's what Mike really wanted to do. And, and in addition to say, Hey, but it's not also, it's, it's not just that it's not okay to do that in the majority world. It's also not helpful to have an enlightenment paradigm, theological education to train pastors here, because that's idolatrous as well. That's coming from a Western story, not out of a biblical story, a biblical way of, of thinking through things. and so. Yeah, which is, that's classic Newbigin, right? <laughs> this yeah. is what we need to do in the developing world. Actually, this is the same uh-huh. change that an approach we need to take in our own primary context. What you're describing is this, the slow drip of like really forming people, not just kind of duplicating a set of skills or mm-hmm. things that we have conceived even for the church today, but it's actually forming people to apply the gospel and a, and a broad gospel that actually forms a people and, a, and has a mission. Yeah. Like, so they can begin to apply that themselves. Yeah. Yeah. yeah that's the way we, the curriculum that Mike's been, Mike and the other faculty have been working on is really to basically to say like the beating heart of it is to, is to have a theological vision of the gospel. Like what is the gospel? What is the kingdom of God? What mm-hmm. is the biblical story? Like, and let that be the driving the heart that then, it's from there that that then influences how you do systematic theology, biblical studies, church history, mm-hmm. congregational theology. But the, the biggest thing that we're trying to get is not is not skills in a sense, though those come. But the biggest thing is in the four years that we have our students, how do we help them have a theological vision of the gospel from which they can think through whatever? And their students everywhere from 65 down to 23. In our, in our cohort that started this year, we have we have 65-year-old women and 23-year-old guys, and it's awesome to have this diversity of people. But th- just take that 23-year-old guy who's just starting out as a young pa- associate pastor in a church here in Phoenix. Like, what are the questions that he's going to have to be figuring out 20 years from now when he's mm-hmm. you know, when he's my age? He has, I have no yeah. idea. Like, I can't right. tell him the answer to that question. But what we can hope to do is form them with a theological vision and, and impulses and a rule of life and a way of inhabiting scripture that will serve them in 20 years when whatever the mission of God looks like, whatever a gospel encounter with culture looks like then in that place at that time, mm-hmm. as people are going forward, they've been formed in a way to see that, to enter, to engage that. Which is, yeah, that's so powerful. Yeah. So powerful. And uh, you said something earlier that, I want to just come back to and put you on the spot. You said oh we're year 12 into a 20 year vision for our area. And, you know, you've talked in this podcast about that, you know, over 20 churches working together and they work together in a lot of ways besides just the um, mm-hmm. lay leader development. But, but you have this idea of a commitment to that place for 20 years, but you're 12 years in, what do you, What's what's the end of the twenty year vision, as you as you think and pray about it? Hmm. 
So let me say one thing first, because if Danae Pierre, who is the executive mm-hmm. director of Surge, if she were to hear this and she were to hear you, like that, I just said 20 churches. So let me be like, there's 20 churches that are, that will do Surge school this year. Like the school, there's mm. like 40 or more kind of core churches in the Surge network. But then there's, there's hundreds that are a part of some of the different monthly lunches that we do and right. and, and different things like that. So one, I would just, I would say that <laughs> she wouldn't really give me a hard time, but I, I, I want to say that, that she has not just scaled, but built a depth, like a depth and a diversity to the surge network over the last five or six years that as the executive mm. director has been pretty, pretty phenomenal. Pretty. It's, it's been incredible. Uh, well, here's, here's what I'd say. So, I was a part of helping start Surge MTC Missioura Church 12 years ago. And right now, uh, so Charlie and Sarah are two, they they did residencies with our church. They And they both last year graduated from MTC. And so the two of them, along with me, are on a leadership team with our church. And they're leading in uh, leading our church more and more as I'm part-time with the church, but but more and more focusing on, on missional training center on the seminary. And yeah. so seeing them as like really the second generation of leaders are really starting to take over, not just in our church, but you're seeing in, in a lot of, a lot of different churches that there was kind of this mm-hmm. cohort of a bunch of us who were in our late twenties, maybe early thirties, uh, you know, back then. And now we're all hitting 40, but what's, what's cool is there's a second generation of leaders mm-hmm. like Charlie and Sarah who are stepping into these roles and who are leading um, and kind of, and coming through some of the, some of these systems and some of these things that we've, that we built, but not just like following, I don't know, not just like doing what, like running the, not just running our plays, they're getting to design their right. own running things. So I don't know when you ask that question that in, you know, in eight years, the 20 year vision in eight years from now, that there'd be a third generation that the, the next generation up, the, the people who right now are still in their, in their teens or twenties or whatever it is, but that next right. generation of leaders that would take it and put their own fingerprints on it and their own, that they would start to take over and lead, lead the thing forward. And, and the other is just, I mean, that's at a, at a leader level. The big goal is just that, that, and this is where it started. And my prayer would be, this is where it ends is like, we didn't start because like we need our churches to be better. We need to do discipleship programs in our church. We did it because we were concerned as leaders of the churches and feeding, like we want to see the, a witness to the gospel of like an, an inhabited witness to the gospel. And we want to be faithful to the mission of Jesus here in our city at this place in this time. What are the means that we need to disciple the people in our churches, the people of the church in Phoenix, so that we can have a faithful witness to the gospel. And so I guess in 20 years in that, whatever the missional realities are in Phoenix in you know, in 2028, that, yeah, would be ready to engage those things. Right. Which, and yeah, you even bring up your second generation of leaders with Sarah and Charlie and, you know, they graduated MTC last year and now they're leading a church through a global pandemic, which is not a yeah. course you could have taught. Right. Yeah. But they're doing it now with the lens that, that they've been equipped with, but not like what do you do. These and I'm sitting here like I'm sitting a year into them. You know, before the global pandemic started, like a year into it, I'm like, gosh, our church is healthier now than it was, like as they're leading it, than it was when I was leading it towards the end. And it's like, that's a beautiful thing. And then now mm-hmm. you know, our church, you know, a couple months into this global pandemic, there's just something beautiful about it 
And it's like they're leading it in this beautiful way. And it's like the people of God are being activated because they've gotten this theological vision to be able to, to lead in this way. Right. Yeah. So good. And how many people would you say in your church have gone through the lay leader surge? You know, we have a small church. If there's 100 adults in our church, I'd probably say 40 of them have been through surge. Yeah, which is pretty remarkable. I think that's that's an incredible percentage. So, yeah, you told me, uh, you know, you wouldn't answer any good questions on a, or you wouldn't be able to give good answers to how to do this in your place. Yeah. You'd just be like, I'm just intuitive and I just run with it. And <laughs> though, uh, so I'll just give, I'll give the answer to that, own, my own question. Great. Hey, Brad. Brad, you've heard <laughs> me talk for the last half hour and run my mouth. I was wondering, like, from what you've heard, what would you say, like, Brad, what, what, what kind of practical steps would you give people to try to, if, if you're like thinking about trying to figure out church-based theological education and your city, <laughs> town, neighborhood, whatever it is, like what practical things would you get, would you, would jump to your mind that you'd want to tell them, Brad? That's great. That's great. Well, mostly I've heard you share the story before. And so then I've just kind of tried to come up with the principles and then duplicate it. But one thing you can do is, is you can begin to create a learning community, like an intentional learning community or society or cohort or whatever you want to call it with local leaders or other pastors in uh, your city, regardless of how many it is. And just say like, we really want to like continue to be formed. And maybe you could start with the drama of scripture or the mission of God by Christopher Wright. Uh, Those could be good, you know, step one, you know, as, as leaders begin to be jazzed and growing up in the same thing as, as maybe as pastors. And then I've actually, I've gone to Surge, uh, the website and MTC, the Missional Training Center. I think that's what it's called. I'll put the website yeah. in the links. I've just tried to copy what you're doing and put it into our own church oh. in our own city. So we're in year two of doing a cohort, a one-year cohorts. Uh, so we're in our second round here. And uh, we've we've copied all your ideas. So that's 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 those are my next those are the next steps. And uh, and very similar to what you're describing of like it's not just a study. There's also this mm. you know order of life or rule of life that we try to walk through as a group um, that really bomb, builds a community. People in the beginning, right? This is what we think the gospel is. This is what we think church is. This is what we think mission is. This is what I think my purpose in life is. And they go through this whole year-long process, and then at the end, they rewrite it all. Uh, and it's really incredible to see. We've seen a lot of uh, people be formed and shaped. And after this year, we'll have 20 of our yeah. 100 or so people have gone through it, which is just really cool. That's awesome. And so I think that one of the things that I stole from you guys is, I think I stole it from you, was that I don't have to be a professor. There's really good book that can be the professor. Mm-hmm. And then I don't even lecture or anything. So people come over on to our house on Thursday nights and we have a meal rotation of people who bring like a bunch of snacks and desserts and drinks. Theological formation is much better with wine. Indeed. And so anyway, but I draw a name out of the hat and whoever's name is drawn, they lead the discussion. And it's, and then the last 20 minutes, I have a list of things I want to make sure we hit on. I kind of pause things at the end and whatever hasn't been hit on, I'll kind of tie it all together for the group, kind of like a, a Sherpa or a guide. But it's amazing because everyone knows their name might get drawn out of a hat 
the mm. conversations are awesome. Like usually whoever's name gets drawn, they only have to ask two or three questions because it's just, and over two, two hours later. Yeah. And they're just like, I want to keep talking, you know, and several people have just been like, that's an interesting question. I have a better one. You know, <laughs> it's like, I've been thinking about this all week. And anyway, I just think that there's a lot of low hanging fruit and just doing that sort of thing. But instead of start, I, I see a lot of like elder track stuff that people develop. I'm just now in my soapbox. This is extra time. A lot of elder track stuff that just starts with this is systematic theology. We want to make sure everybody that becomes an elder agrees with these points. You know, read groom theology, sweet. Now that we know that you've read it and that you agree, you can be an elder if you know how to preach, you know, and then, or if you know how to answer shepherding questions or something like that, which those things are important, obviously. But I think it, you, do, you don't know how. You don't know how much that like teased me up to to go off on some other stuff. That's going to make your podcast way too long. So we'll do another, we'll do another podcast sometime talking about, yeah, what is what is about that systematic theology is not bad. It's incredible. No, it's not. It's great. We do it the right way. Anyway, well, one of the things that ends up happening though is I think, and I've seen this in my own churches. You do that enough, and then you're eventually like, oh, we don't have any leaders to develop. And you're looking for MC leaders, and you're like, oh, we don't really have those either. You kind of get to the end of the pile of the people that were jazzed about it right when they joined your church, and then there's not others anyway. Or you end up having leaders who are just like, man, I don't really understand why we do this anymore. Like, I knew that one drawing that you did was really cool, but the conviction's really shallow. Yeah. I remember when we were starting this, I was doing... Uh, Kevin and I, we planted the church together and we were together. Both of us were doing, we'd lead tables together, these surge tables of maybe four to five people. And we were doing two or three uh, this one year. So we had like 10 to 15 people total going through these surge tables. And basically that Kevin and I are meeting with these other three people every week, you know, with three different groups of, of that, like spending all this time and people and all these, other, like we're, while we're planning the church and people are like, I remember a pastor is like, how do you have time to do that? Like, I don't have, I don't know how you have time to do that. And my, I was just, uh, it just hit me. I was like, what else are you going to do? Like we're spending yeah. an hour and a half a week with our key mm-hmm. leaders and emerging leaders going through forming them as disciples and giving them a theological foundation and wrestling through these things and just spending time with them. I was like, other than working on my sermon and planning for Sunday, like, what else are you, what else is more important to right. do, especially as you're planting a church than, than, than that? Oh, totally. So some of it's just reframing, like what's the role of the pastor and the leaders in the church? Oh, totally. A hundred percent. And you know, my favorite parts of the whole, we've done it now. We're yeah. Halfway through the second round, but both times people are like, you know what our church should really do is we should organize our entire church around the mission of God that we participate in and make sure people understand that they're the people of God and that that's worth everything and their whole, and it's like, that's what we've tried to do people. Like, don't like, that's what we, (laughs) didn't you go to the new members class? Haven't you been an MC leader for like three years? But it's, there's a different thing that happens when people internalize the learning and then learn it in a community it's, I don't know, it's, and it's like, these people are sharing it, like it's their idea that they came up with. And it's so inspiring. I don't know. And then it does make the work of a pastor so much easier. But I, you're right. I, that is the job, even. So, like Paul and Ephesus, 
spending all of his time in the Tyrannus school. Yeah. <laughs> Which is what I wanted to call our thing. And the designer made a Tyrannosaurus Rex logo for it. And then, then, then we didn't do it that way. But um, man, we could talk about this stuff for, for a long time. But uh, thanks so much, Chris, for for joining in and, and lending your story and sharing your insights. I hope that's inspired our listeners to even yeah think about how they can invest their time in developing the leaders around them, working with other churches, having a vision for 20 years, not just uh, getting their church to be better. Yeah, that's all really good stuff, Chris. Thanks. Thanks so much. My pleasure. It's been, been good hanging out with you. Absolutely. Always fun to hang out. You're my favorite. Oh, you say it's all the guests. But no, seriously, <laughs> thanks, for, uh, thanks for the opportunity. I appreciate it. Absolutely. Today's podcast was edited by Ben Fort, and our theme music is written and performed by the band Mopac. Saturate's hope is to see one missional community for every 1,000 people in every city as we see the glory of God fill every person, every place, and every church. We participate in this vision by curating resources, training, coaching, consulting, and many more ways. Find out more at saturatetheworld.com.